We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So as Eric DaCosta and the Ravens continue to chip away at finalizing their 2023 depth chart, Baltimore reportedly finds itself linked to a big-time star pass rusher, and that's commander's defensive end Chase Young, who, of course, was the NFL's 2020 Defensive Rookie of the Year in Washington. With that, I'm Bobby Trossett. Sarah is literally en route to Baltimore as we speak. It is Wednesday, July 26th, and this is your morning Ravens update from inside the vault. So Tuesday was report day at one winning drive and players like Mark Andrews, Roquan Smith, and even Morgan Moses met with the media ahead of training camp. Plus, in a significant turn of events, the Giants and Saquon Barkley agreed to terms after plenty of well-documented back and forth. Also, several Ravens-related transactions you should probably know about. We have all that more coming up. Thanks for waking up with the Morning Vault where you get the most important Ravens news and our opinions in about 30 minutes. Like I mentioned, Sarah is having some logistical, I wouldn't call it a nightmare, but she's having some uh, wrenches thrown into her logistics trying to get to Baltimore right now. We're looking forward to finally getting her here. Her oldest son is with her and lots of content is still forthcoming. Speaking of content, I'm bringing on one of my guys, Spencer Schultz. You know him from... Ravens Twitter, at Ravens for Dummies. You know him, talking ball on Exit 52. The boys, the podcast, everything and more. Spenny, thanks for doing this on last minute notice. We've been, uh, you're overdue anyway to come on the vault. So glad to have you back on. It's been a while. Glad to be here. It's been a nice summer months, but football is in the air. I think it's weird this year. Typically, I start to associate the really thick, humid late July and August air you can kind of start to smell the smelling of football the fresh cut grass and that used to be two a days for me back in the day but the the smell for the first time i think in my entire life was beaten by training camp usually the smell comes first but football's here football's here early ready to rock and roll it is and that's spoken like a true football guy that you are so let's dive right into it because there were a bunch of different media sessions that we got to comb through before we get to some of the Chase Young buzz that uh, was put out there by USA Today. So let's begin with kind of the, the defensive tone setter, not kind of. He is the defensive tone setter, and that's Roquan Smith at the podium 
on Tuesday? Yeah, I think it's uh, one and foremost, you know, getting the most out of each other, staying healthy and playing to our standard and not getting complacent because, like, it's easy to be paper champs, but what really matters is, like, what you do uh, between those lines and, like, what are we going to do, you know, starting starting today when meetings uh, officially kick off and, like, just our mental intensity, our attention to detail, and I think if we uh, abide by those things and, you know, do what we have to do, I think the sky's the limit for all of us. So there was that from Roquan, and then on the other side of the ball, obviously one of the offensive tone setters, Mark Andrews, echoed a similar setting. I think we've gotten close, you know, and that's part of it. I think that's got to be something that drives you, um, drives each and every one of us that, that's been here um, and played here during those years is um, just letting those guys know that we, we do have unfinished business and it's time to roll. You know, Spenny, bottom line is, yeah, on paper, this team is legit. But obviously between now and early September, there's a lot of gelling, a lot of terminology, a lot of chemistry building that needs to be done. It most certainly is. And I know there's a ton of comments about Todd Munkin's offense. Mark Andrews was asked about Munkin as a coach, and he said he's fiery. He's really fiery. He loves what he's doing. I think that's an awesome thing. It's cool to have a coach that's so fired up. Uh, he loves what he does, and he really believes in this offense. I think it's cool. Everybody's super excited. Odell Beckham there, definitely turning heads. No matter what you think of Odell Beckham at, at where he is in this stage of his career, he is a showstopper as a person just as much, if not more, as a football player. He already has acclimated himself super well, had a football camp at Gilman earlier this week, all that good stuff. So um, all these all these guys, you, you talk about Roquan Smith, you talk about Mark Andrews, you talk about Morgan Moses, and you go look around, there's a lot of veterans on this team. Ronnie Stanley, Zeitler, uh, Michael Pierce, Roquan, we said, Rocky Sin, Marcus Williams, Marlon Humphrey. None of them have really won anything. Lamar Jackson included in that. None of them have won a conference championship. None of them even played in a Super Bowl. None of those kind of acclaimed veterans that they have. So this team that has been in the playoffs, has won their division in this, let's call it Lamar era, still has a lot to prove and a lot to get to. So I think this team is definitely very hungry. And I think when you see Mark Andrews or hear Mark Andrews and Roquan Smith in their comments, the way they are proven stars at their respective positions, they have a similar sentiment and I think this is going to be a smooth training camp of a bunch of guys that want to learn, especially on the offensive side of the football, is only year two for Mike McDonald's defense, uh, although he you know, is a disciple of Dean Pease and Link Martindale. So not too much changes, but still, uh, this team has a lot of work to put in, but it feels like they're hungry, excited, and they've got the right type of personalities to go put in the work and grind out those long summer practices. You mentioned that Munkin offense, and obviously there's been so much conversation and speculation in terms of how things are going to look different uh, under a guy who just, let's face it, absolutely dominated and tailored everything to his playmakers while at Georgia. Morgan Moses was asked point blank if he thinks that what they're doing now schematically is going to have things running faster than it did in the past under Greg Roman. Here's what he had to oh, say. You know, a, a lot faster. You know, obviously you give, a, you know, you know, Zay Flowers seeing him and um, what an unbelievable rookie he is, man, just to be able to, uh, you know, have him come into mini camp and OTAs. And he already has that mindset of if you ever had a chance to sit down and talk to him, he has a, a mindset that he's been in the league already for three years. Mm-hmm. And every, you know, and obviously he's a sponge, you know, he's willing to ask questions, he's willing to soak it up and, and, and learn. And, um, and obviously when you have a rookie and rookies, and a lot of our rookies are like that, you have a group of rookies coming in willing to do that, man. The sky's the limit for those guys as well. Okay, so Spenny, here's the reason why I added that clip in there. He was asked about essentially a general question about about speed, tempo, things of that nature. I think Jonas Schaefer was the one who, who posed it. And notice how he 
really unprompted somehow gets to Zay Flowers. That's been a recurring theme over the last few weeks, whether it's national media members, whether it's players, whether it's guys in the locker room. Are you pumping the brakes? Or are you buying in? It's tough to say always with a Ravens rookie, especially on the offensive side of the – really just in general, not even just on the offensive side of the football. The Ravens like to ease their rookies in, but when you go watch Zay Flowers' tape, the thing you'll notice is the acceleration and the, his ability to change gears, to throttle up through second, third, and fourth into fifth gear. And he does have a fifth gear, a true fifth gear. And the tenacity that he played with. So while he might not start out in September as – a full-time starting player. Maybe he will. Who knows? Rashad Bateman's status, a little bit up in the air still. Maybe they want to ease Beckham and Bateman health-wise in more so than trying to have them hit the ground running in September and maybe go let Nelson Aguilar, Devin DuVernay, and Zay Flowers take some work. But Flowers moves differently. He is a unique and uncommon mover, we'll say. Uh, his ability to really sit down in space, his ability to accelerate through zones, pass off coverages, hit blind spots, and throttle up. So I think that he's an exciting player that and, – and some people hate the comparison, but when you go watch Hollywood Brown at Oklahoma and what he would do after the catch, it was a little different, a little less physical, maybe a little bit more true long speed than Zay Flowers hit. But it's someone you can put the ball in their hands and he can go flip the field. He can go score from beyond the 50 on a short route, on a shallow cross, on a mesh concept, something over the middle of the field, a slant, whatever it may be. So um, Flowers is going to bring excitement. He's going to bring big plays. Uh, there have been reports that you know he's had some issues dropping passes, but guess what? All the best receivers drop the most passes, especially the best yak receivers. Go look at the leaderboards. You'll see DK Metcalf, Jamar Chase. You'll go see guys that are really electric after the catch because they want to run through the football. They want to run in gear and throttle up. So I think uh, the person as well, we talked about a little bit Odell Beckham being a bigger personality maybe even than he is a football player, which is crazy to say. It seems like the person, the work ethic, the humble attitude, the personability of Zay Flowers is what's making an impression. Usually you don't hear veteran guys talking this much about a rookie. And I think that the work ethic has to stand out for that. I think that the confidence and the sociability of Zay Flowers has to stand out for sure. Usually reporters end up asking, so what have you, what have you seen of the rookie? What have you seen of the first round pick? And they'll give you, you know, a nice answer. But like you said, Bobby, a lot of it's unprompted. And I think that shows to what type of person Zay Flowers is and what his work ethic and the impression he's left, not just on players, but probably on the cafeteria staff, probably on the training staff, probably on everybody. A lot like what we hear from Lamar Jackson. And guess what? Those guys are from the same areas. So maybe they uh, were both raised right in that manner. Yeah, And, you know, one of the things I was reminded of earlier in the week during his interview with the lounge was, you know, don't just box this dude as a slot guy. Right, He lined up 75% of his snaps at Boston College on the outside. So he wants to play all three positions within, the, within what's, what's asked of, of NFL wide receivers, and he wants the ball, and he wants to be more than just a shifty slot guy. We'll see if he's going to have a chance to do that in what is obviously a crowded and packed room. One more snippet from Morgan Moses, who talked a little bit about balance, because let's be honest. They aren't just going to abandon what's become their bread and butter over the years, and that's their rushing attack. Morgan was asked, I mean, are you expecting to throw it essentially, you know, universally? 
Not so fast. Well, um, n- not necessarily because you have to run the ball to set up the pass. You know, uh, even though, you know, we got all these weapons and things like that, you know, you just can't sit out there and throw the ball 40, 50 times. Um, you got to set it up, you know, and that's what the league is about. And, you know, um, I think, you know, with the skill set that we have, we have the capability to not only, you know, free up some players like Mark Andrews, who, you know, is used to getting double teamed and, and, and things like that. Um, now we have guys that, that can win one-on-one on the outside. And so that's the beauty of, the, uh, of this offense, allowing Lamar to uh, – his growth, you know, to keep on growing as a quarterback, but also being able to spread the ball, you know, to the running backs, receivers, and the tight ends as well. Spenny, real quick before we shift gears to some of the the, the news and notes from guys reporting and, and Tyus Bowser's limp and, and things of that nature, J.K. Dobbins, uh, obviously starting training camp on the PUP. We know that he was described as a hold-in during mandatory minicamp. What do you think is what what's taking place right now? I think that J.K. Dobbins is looking for some compensation from what has spilled through the grapevine. It sounds like he's actually seeking a revised deal this season, which a little bit unprecedented on someone in their rookie contract still. Um, I'd heard that the Ravens had talked with him a little bit about a new contract and extending him, but wasn't even necessarily what he was asking for. So I think that Dobbins, kind of like what we saw from Saquon Barkley, definitely a different scale. Dobbins, like Barkley, tore an ACL, didn't quite have the the full season impact that Saquon had when he was originally drafted and in his rookie season as a giant, but saw him rebound from an injury, come back from it, play super strong. So the running backs are in a difficult position right now. And I got into a big discussion earlier with a bunch of buddies of mine, and the kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't situation comes up because backs – don't get paid when they produce during their rookie contract because you say, oh, well, now there's too much wear and tear. So then other people are saying, oh, well, Dobbins hasn't had a full season where he played really well. Even though his rookie year, he probably could have just taken a full workload and been outstanding like he was in the second half. So you look at a guy like Philip Lindsay, comes in as an undrafted running back, ends up being really productive for the Denver Broncos. By the time he's done his rookie contract, done that control, he is too banged up to really go cash in as opposed to a you know, wide receiver four or five, they can go get a five, seven, ten million dollar uh, one-year, two-year deal left and right. These guys are in a weird spot. The CBA's left them in a weird spot. And obviously they had their big Zoom calls. And we see Saquon fall into line a little bit there, go get himself the opportunity to get a signing bonus, get some of that money up front, and adds $900,000 of incentives onto his deal if he hits, I think, 1,350 rushing yards, 65 receptions in the Giants, make the playoffs. Saquon will get another 900 grand in his pocket. So uh, I think Dobbins is a little bit frustrated. He's been frustrated. Like I said, he wanted his rookie year. He felt I can be the bell cow feed me. He ends up leading the NFL in yards per carry among all running backs. He had the third highest rookie running back yards per carry total in NFL history. Then of course the ACL super frustrating rehabs rehabs really, really intensely goes on dark mode for a while. Nobody hears from him. He pops back up is a little bit effective, has to go get a cleanup procedure in the middle of last season and make sure that he can get back for December and into the playoffs, has a great December, goes and has a great game against the Bengals, scores, feels like he could have scored again as opposed to the Tyler Huntley fumble that happened. So just a lot of frustration mounting. I'm sure that Todd Munkin would be able to give him a little bit more of a peaceful uh, role and then the sporadic usage that Greg Roman had at some points. But ultimately, he just feels like He has been a five-star running back since he was seven years old, probably, out of LaGrange, Texas. He goes to Ohio State, dominates there, runs for 1,860-some yards at Ohio State in a single season. I think breaks the Ohio State single-season rushing record. 
he probably could have been playing in the NFL as a sophomore. That's how good of a player he is. As a freshman, maybe, J.K. Dobbins could have been producing in the NFL. So these backs feel like by the time they get to the NFL, they've put on the wear and tear. Kind of reminds you of pitchers and Tommy John and pitch counts and what's going on in the college baseball world series when guys are throwing 145 pitches and then potentially going to end up like Paul Skeens end up needing an arm procedure down the road. These guys feel like by the time they put the work in, it's getting used against them and it feels super unfair. It is super unfair. It stinks. They're in a poor spot from the CBA and where it has put them. So that's why we see them meeting, trying to figure out how to move this ball back forward. I saw the idea pitched of using the bonus pool, the incentive pool for players that play above their basically draft position. Like when a fifth rounder ends up starting 15 games in their rookie season, they'll end up getting four or $500,000 from a bonus pool. The pool is up to $330 million sitting there right now, according to, I think, Mike Florio. So maybe backs need to get a little special love and outside of their contract because right now the CBA is not doing them justice. The franchise tag hasn't gone up. Josh, every back that gets franchise tagged, short of Tony Pollard, feels frustrated. And Pollard's coming off of a fractured leg, which goes back to prove that they have a short shelf life and get really banged up. So it's, it's difficult. It's tough. He's in a tough spot. He's frustrated. We kind of see Patrick Queen... I wouldn't say they've had the same exact experience in the NFL, but Queen took a different path. He decided, you know, once he was upset, he, he vocalized about it to reporters. He said, I'm just going to buckle my chin strap in, go back to work. And I realized that what I'm doing is not the work ethic that maybe the Ravens or my future team, if it comes to that, would want to see. So would love to see Dobbins, you know, get in there, get reps in this new offense we've spoke of, get where he needs to be. But he's such a special player that has had such a electric career but hasn't been able to get to where he feels he should have been, which right now, let's say he doesn't tear his ACL freak contact ACL tear, which guess what? He's probably upset with the Ravens for because he. Oh, uh, real question. Exactly. So uh, if he probably feels that if that play didn't happen, which he probably blames a little bit on the Ravens, maybe it's simmered at that point. We know he did up front, but if he, didn't have that happen. Maybe he has a contract. Maybe he has $30 million in the bank right now. So, you know, it's easy to point fingers at J.K. Dobbins. It's easy for J.K. Dobbins to point fingers, but it's a tough situation, and hopefully he's able to work it out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think JK and PQ's situation was, was a perfect comparison there both of these guys are entering the final years of their rookie deals and both of these guys 
have got to show up and show out if they want to get paid this year. I don't know if they're going to end up in Baltimore after this coming season, especially if you're PQ with potential replacement, you know, being selected in the draft and Trenton Sipson. But both of these guys, unfortunately, don't have a ton of ground to stand on, especially if you're JK, knowing what these last couple of years have been. So Saquon Barkley's deal is done. That means he is reporting to camp for Giants fans. And I think the biggest storyline in Baltimore over the course of the next couple of weeks, especially when John Harbaugh meets with the media later this week, is what was up with the mixed messaging between you and JK during minicamp. Is he dealing with a soft tissue setback? Was it a hold in? What's taking place moving forward? Because there was a lot of inconsistencies there. So I'll be looking forward to watching how uh, the local media decide to kind of tinker with that in the next couple of days when, when he hits the podium. A couple notes before we get to the Chase Young rumors that are kind of uh, gaining some steam, I'd say, ever so slightly on Twitter. Uh, Tyus Bowser, Ravens outside linebacker, he did report to camp on Tuesday and video provided by uh, Baltimore Beatdown's Kyle Barber showed that he had a wrap on his knee and a significant limp. So uh, who knows? Perhaps the early part of the season is in jeopardy for Tyus right now. We'll learn more about that coming up later this week. A guy that did not show up, or I should say he didn't show up without a limp, he did show up, was Ravens wide receiver Rashad Bateman, Melvin Gordon. Yeah, he didn't look too excited walking into the building, but he is there. He is ready to roll. He's going to be fighting for a spot on the 53-man roster. Odell Beckham Jr., to your point earlier, Spenny, whatever he does, there's going to be Ravens cameras around him. He is a massive personality, and I think probably what's inarguable is that he is the biggest superstar that's ever, at least on the football side of things, that's ever suited up uh, for the Baltimore Ravens. OBJ is here. And I think this quote that was from The Athletic has been blown out of proportion a little bit, taken out of context, if you will. Essentially him saying, quote, I'm thinking this is my last year. The guys on the Good Morning Football panel got me thinking about this. I wanted to play that clip. We'll react to it on the other side. Uh, first part, when he said whip his bleep, I remember him and Marlon Humphrey getting into it when he was in Cleveland in a game, some one-on-one oh, yeah. battles. It should be a nice one in practice. I think for Odell, when you go through what he's gone through the last few years, which includes some knee injuries and rehabbing, and then you think about this offseason, he was could have possibly been the Super Bowl MVP back when the Rams won when he was a part of their team, and then waiting to sign for a long time. I think there's an emotional human aspect to playing this game, and there's a lot that comes with it outside of what just happens in between the white lines and I think for uh, Odell Beckham going through all of that you start to think like do I really want to continue not only put my mind through this but my body as well he's had these two major knee injuries and he's going into this season where just like hey if I continue to not maybe get what I'm worth or whatever the case may be of just going through the day-to-day minute-to-minute stuff that comes with playing in the league hey I want to maximize this year we got our quarterback back in Lamar Jackson out here he's showing up as a veteran in that young wide receiver group let's maximize and see what we can do but he also says let's take it to where it comes the end of the season Odell comes back and he has an amazing year and he goes off you better believe he's going to be lining up for somebody again next year Uh, of course like Spenny I think again some of his comments the damn Pompeii article on the athletic I, I just think that they were taken out of context he's not saying that this is his final swan song no he's saying because the game that he loves so much literally his life was taken away from him, you know, for a significant amount of time. There were dark days. He was uncertain. He didn't know if he was going to get back in the league, all those things because of those now in the rearview mirror, 
He's going to act as if he's going to treat this as if, hey, who knows, as a way of maximizing what this year could become. Are you in agreement there? Yeah, I think also with the perspective and through the prism of him having the game taken away, knowing that his knee has not been in a great place for years, it could get taken away again. He could suffer another injury. And I don't think it's him playing in fear of it. I think it's him embracing it, trying to savor every moment of something that was taken away, that he was in such a dark place that in that same article, it said his mom used to have to walk into the room and open the blinds up. So he would get out of bed and give him some sunlight and change his mood a little bit. So it's, it's coming from a place of the other side of what so many people that have had a really invasive surgery and had to take painkillers, which allow for those types of procedures to exist because of the insurmountable amount of pain that so many people go through when they do that, the toll that that takes the dark depressive kind of darkness for lack of a better word that can sweep over you. So he knows what that was like. Now he feels healthy. He feels better than he did. He feels excited. He got a big one year deal. He's going to try to savor it. It's like, you know, having your favorite sweet taken away from you for your entire, for a decade, and then being able to taste it again, you're not going to just scarf the whole thing down. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to savor the flavor. So in the event that it could be, he's going to treat it like it could be his last. I don't think it's that he thinks he's not going to play again or anything to that tune. All right. Finally, on to the Chase Young conversation, according to USA Today, and I'm going to read directly from this piece. There have already been murmurs about the former number two overall pick being dealt with Washington, not picking up Young's option. Several teams have been rumored to be interested, including the Steelers and Ravens. However, with Pittsburgh extending Alex Highsmith, the likelihood of them going after Young is slim to none. That leaves Baltimore and it would fit their MO like a glove. We've seen the Ravens bring in veteran pass rushers and defensive linemen before Doomerville, Nagakwe, Houston, Campbell, and they have a need at the position this year. Of course, other teams like the Colts or even the Bears could be in on the 2020 Defensive Rookie of the Year, but keep your eyes on Baltimore as a potential landing spot should Washington move him during the season. Uh, Look, I I don't know if something's going to happen between now and the beginning of the season. Obviously, there's a different era a new era in washington if you will with the josh harris ownership group that includes magic kind of taking over for what was just a dumpster fire putting it lightly under dan snyder for years and years and years so i don't know if they're looking for a clean slate maybe they'll reevaluate before the deadline based on how the first portion of the season's going but obviously spenny being that he did have a rookie year for the ages, he's a local product. The Ravens know him well. The guy's a game wrecker. If healthy, yeah, he can be a high-impact guy. What do you think the compensation would be to get something like this done, knowing that he's had some early injury concern in his career? I'm sure Washington would love picks as they transition out of the Dan Snyder era, as they don't know yet exactly what they have with Sam Howell. It feels like they're probably the highest on Sam Howell of anyone in the world. And I think they might be able to shock some people this year. But from the Ravens' perspective, I think that Eric DaCosta, if nothing else, makes more phone calls than anyone on earth. I think that he constantly tries to gauge the market value, be in the loop. And I do think he has certain players, DeAndre Hopkins, Marcus Peters, Yannick Ngakwe, 
that he fixates on for a while, always wants to check their price and see if he can get a good, fair deal on them. So I think a deal for Chase Young, who is on the last year of his contract but could be franchise tagged at a very, very high number, Edge is probably around $21.8 million, I think, last time I checked for next year, would be super high but does give you that control in that in the event that it goes well. I would think somewhere along a second and a fourth round pick, a third round pick, something like that. So a couple maybe day two, day three, early day three picks I think could get Chase Young. I know that the idea of Patrick Queen being a part of it was floated, but I don't know that acquiring a player would make much sense for Washington, especially the linebacker position. They've drafted one. They've signed one. Uh, especially when losing a high-impact player like that, I think they would probably rather gain some control back and some assets in the form of, or some capital, I should say, in the form of picks. So I would think maybe a third and a fourth, somewhere around there, maybe a second-round pick by itself uh, gets Chase Young, who is pretty much on a rental or a really expensive two-year set at this point. Yeah. Uh, what I keep coming back to is just the buzz, right? Wherever the buzz is coming from, and, and you know, you could argue how much it's substantive or, or, or whatnot. The Ravens are telling you just like they did kind of exploring backup quarterback options uh, this off season, that they think that they can get better at specific positions. And one of them is obviously pass rusher. Calais Campbell is now gone five and a half sacks out the door. Justin Houston, who was the team lead nine and a half, not currently on this roster. We'll see if he ends up, uh, you know, being brought in on a, on a one year veteran minimum kind of thing in the coming weeks, even though, <laughs> Talk about ground to stand on, Spenny. The, the guy was sipping from the fountain of youth all season long last year, so maybe he wants more than that. Um, we know that Adafi Owe has a lot of questions around him in terms of development ahead of year three, and uh, and Tyus Bowser's walking in with a limp right now. So if nothing else, yeah, EDC's doing his due diligence, and we'll see if anything comes of this uh, now or perhaps at some point during the season based on Washington's future plans couple quick notes before we jump. Justin Herbert, the next quarterback, the domino has fallen. The Chargers and their guy have reached agreement on a five-year, $262.5 million extension. It keeps him in L.A. through the 2029 season. And now, all of a sudden, he's the third quarterback this offseason to sign market-resetting deals. We know Jalen Hurts went five years for 255. Lamar went five years for 260, and now Herbert comes in just a notch above as things tend to go, 262.5. Does Burrow get done before camp? Or not before camp, or camp's already here, before the season? I don't know. I think that might be a tall task with this coming down the line. What is, I think, sometimes lost is that NFL owners have a wide disparity of cash that they have on hand. Sure, they could go secure some against debt, leverage debt, things like that. But the Brown family in Cincinnati does not have uh, what Steve Bashotti has or what uh, Jeffrey Lurie has, uh, even what Spanos has out in L.A. with the Chargers. So I think with that situation in Burrow, in Cincinnati, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins down the line here too, a little bit more difficult, a little bit more nuance, and we might see Joe Burrow get a little bit more of a Patrick Mahomes-esque deal that could take some more time to work out. Uh, this definitely moves it forward. The fact that the other young quarterbacks all took more or less the same deal for the most part, ranging from Hertz up to her to Herbert now probably helps a lot really gauges that average annual value per year, gets the signing bonus total amount intact in and 
guarantees towards there. So uh, I think the Browns are, or excuse me, the Bengals are going to try to get a little bit more creative with how they end up keeping Joe Burrow, but they're not letting him go. They'll pay him in equity of the team if they have to. So I don't think it gets done here before the start of the year, but uh, could see maybe. And if not, then probably some point in the next couple months. And Daniel Reese from Ravens Twitter made a good point as well that uh, purely based on APY average per year, this does indeed make Herbert the highest paid QB, but something that's rarely discussed as he writes on Twitter here is the APY relative to time or cap. In that case, Lamar is still significantly more expensive. His five years run from 23 through 27. Herbert's are from 25 through 2029. So just an interesting note there. As we get ready to close on a few different notes, one year, $5 million for Marcus Peters, who's now officially a Vegas Raider. His time in Baltimore has come to an end. That's a, about a mil and a half less than what Rocky Sin earned from the Ravens earlier this offseason as one of their free agency pickups likely to start opposite Marlon Humphrey. Melvin Gordon and Tyler Ott. Of course, Gordon's a running back. Ott is a former Pro Bowl long snapper, were officially signed this week, and wide receiver Makai Polk was claimed off of waivers. You might remember that name. Uh, they claimed him from the Giants, and he spent last season on the Giants practice squad after he was cut by Baltimore at the end of preseason play. Andy Isabella and Mike Thomas, two wide receivers, were released. And unfortunately for Nick Moore, a friend of the show, a great dude, he was placed on the NFI list because he tore his Achilles recently in an off-site training session. Spenny, let everybody know what you're doing these days with Exit 52, where you can be found, your work, and how much I love you. Bobby, you love me so, so, so much. Bobby's big birthday coming up here. Make sure to wish Bobby a happy birthday. Feel free to do so in a review on Spotify or Apple for the man who gives you the best daily Ravens coverage. You can find me at Ravens for Dummies on Twitter. You can find my podcast alongside Jake Luke, Brian Banks, Eric Arditi, and Taylor Smythe. The Exit 52 podcast streaming anywhere you can get it, including YouTube. If you want to talk a little bit more Orioles, if you want to talk a little bit more Maryland sports, if you want to dive a little bit deeper into the fray, feel free to join us on the Exit 52 podcast. You can also check out theexit52podcast.com. Got a ton coming up. We're starting to split the podcast into a couple different channels. Jake and I are going to be doing something called the Ravens Roadmap to the Exit 52 tune, where we're going to be splitting episodes a little bit to be a little cleaner. So if you've already been listening and happen to cross paths on here, check it out there. If not, come uh, come give us a chance. Come give us a try, especially if you like some Orioles baseball, Eric and Brian and myself always chopping it up, getting into the Orioles season. Super exciting. Orioles the number one team in the AR right now. So you can check all of our work out there and look forward to talking to you guys again sometime soon. Yeah, you guys literally have all ground covered, and it's awesome to watch what you're building. So go check that out, Exit 52 Podcast. And, of course, Spenny will certainly be back on at some point in the future. As always, we wanted to shout out two of our returning patrons who are supporting us through Patreon this month. So Bill Justice and Toei Faree, we appreciate you both for believing in what we're building here in Baltimore and beyond. If you're interested in doing the same, you can check out what we're offering on Patreon by visiting patreon.com forward slash Ravens Vault Podcast. That'll do it for this Wednesday morning vault edition here on the 26th. Sarah will be back later tonight. We are live streaming after the first official day 
of Ravens training camp. So for my co-host, Sarah Ellison, who's making her way back to Baltimore as we speak, for my guy, Spencer Schultz, I'm Bobby Trossett signing off, and we will talk to you on Wednesday night. Wednesday night.